Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Beyond. I was going to make a Star Trek joke, but I couldn't come up with one. Because, um, well, actually, honestly, the reason is because I've actually only seen the modern movies. I know, and I didn't want to offend anybody because I'm actually hyper-vigilant about offending people. And I'm a born people pleaser, so thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) And that means it's really hard when faced with a vision about building the kingdom of God within, got that, tick, good, very introspective, love that bit, among, love people, I'm here for that, beyond, oh, mm mm-mm. Because the world out there is um, also hypervigilant about offence right now. And they're on edge and they're just looking for the new thing to take offence at. Or at least that's how it feels. And um, that can be a really scary thing then to face that and to say, I have this message of hope that I'd like to share with you and you may hate me for it. <laughs> you may reject it. And... Uh, That's nerve-wracking. That's a nerve-wracking place to be. My heart for us tonight is actually that we would start to see this idea of building the kingdom of God beyond us, not as something that we have to do or should do or need to do. It's not a checklist. It's not something that you need to do in order to say, I'm a good Christian, this is what I do. I tell people about Jesus. I actually think it needs to come from something deeper, It needs to come from a connection with God's heart for the world and a connection to a vision. So that's what we're going to really dive deep into together tonight. But just on the offence, before we move off that, there's just something that's been on my heart recently is that I've heard, and I think it's a very defensive thing, and I've said it myself actually. Um, So I put myself in this category. I've heard it said though that if they hate us, that's okay because that means we're doing something right. Has anyone else heard that? from other Christians, that if they can't stand us or if they don't tolerate us well or if we're offending them, that's okay because that just means we're doing something right. I just want to gently suggest that offence should not be a measure of success because offence is not our goal. And if you're using it to say that's how we know we're doing the right thing, then that means it's part of your goal. But it shouldn't actually be part of the evidence that says that we are building the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Because the reason why is actually that, well, I mean, before I say anything else, I should say that doesn't mean that we won't be rejected and it doesn't mean that the world won't hate us because the world rejected Jesus, the world hated Jesus and then Jesus turned around to his disciples, his followers, which includes us and says, you can expect the same. (laughs) So it will be there. It's not to say that we don't want, we are going to go out there and be people pleasers but it shouldn't be what we're working towards because actually the people who hated Jesus the most and offended him the most were the religious and the people who he was there to reach and heal and give dignity to and give a place to belong, they didn't reject him as much as the religious did. When you read through the Gospels, the people who were most offended were the people who, if he was here today, would be in buildings like this and on platforms like this. 
So offences are now a measure of success. It's just a byproduct and something that we'll face. So what is our measure of success? How will we know that we are building the kingdom of God within, among and beyond? How will we know that heaven is on earth? What does that vision look like? Sue, in that video, unpacks it really beautifully. But we're going to go a little deeper. So let's pray. God, I just want to lay down right now my agenda and I just invite you to speak through me. Just surrender that. And together we want to come to you and we just want to acknowledge that our thoughts of you are too few and too small. Would you speak to us and reveal your heart for this world to us tonight? Amen. All right, so in order to unpack this, we're going to use Simon Sinek's Golden Circles because I actually am a very details-oriented person and this just is my comfort zone. Has anybody else encountered Simon Sinek's Golden Circles? Yay, okay. So it starts with the why, then it's the, I mean, sorry, you're my people. (laughs) It starts with the why and then it's the how and then it's the what because everybody pretty much knows what they're doing. I can say, I know what we're doing here. We're here to build the kingdom of God within, among and beyond. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And then you go to the how. Well, how are you going to do that? And then you've got this why question. A lot of people know what they're doing, but they don't know why they're doing it. And this actually came up in a story that Sue told a couple of weeks ago about the Wesley revival, where this amazing revival happened. And one of the outworkings of this revival, just one, not all of them, because I'm pretty sure, was it of the abolishment of slavery as well that was one of the outworkings of this revival? So just one of the other outworkings of this revival was that all of these Christians who became Christians in this revival, like thousands of people, started to take pride and care in their homes and they tidied up their yards and they painted their fences white. And also they abolished slavery. But they painted their fences white. And then after the revival had passed and all of the fervour and excitement, after the why had kind of dwindled, it became this marker in the communities that if you had this neat yard and a white fence, you're a Christian. This is the Christian thing to do. It's this value. See, you can very quickly separate what it is that you do from why it is that you do it. And painting a fence white and taking care of your yard and taking pride in your yard may have been an outworking of the Holy Spirit's movement at that time, but it alone isn't what God was doing in that revival. But then when it becomes more and more separated from the why, it just becomes legalistic and religious and just another rule, just another thing that we do because this is what good Christians do. So that's why we're going to dig into the why. We have a beautiful why here and it's laid out so perfectly. If you haven't got one of these, has everybody got one of these? Do we have any more copies? This is the strategic roadmap. Come and find me afterwards and I'll find you a copy because it's a really beautiful vision. And part of what I love about this vision is that there's scope in it for everybody's personal cause and what excites them. So I'll explain that a little bit more on the next slide. If you want more information about Simon Sinek's Golden Circles, you can Google it. Make sure you include his name or that is all you will find, just just for your information. So why purpose? So the why question really is getting to the heart of your purpose. So part of how you can dig into this is asking the question, what is your cause? What is 
your motivation. So as a church, we've laid this out. But what I love about this vision is that within this vision, there is room for a whole lot of different causes. So something that's really big to me is justice. And I see how that fits here. But something that might be really big to you might be compassion and alleviating the suffering of others. That also fits here. And it's not that we're in competition with each other. It's actually that we're stronger together building this beautiful vision. So tonight what I want to do is because we can all fit within this vision of the church, which I love, but actually this vision of the church fits within a wider vision again. And that's the vision of God. We're going to unpack that. We're going to unpack why, what is God's purpose. And then we're going to unpack how he achieves that purpose how he actually makes that why a reality. And then we're going to look at what. What should we do in response to that? Because we don't want to just be doing things out there in the world because that's just what we've been told good Christians do. Let's connect it to the heart of God for the world. Okay, and we're going to do this by getting into Ephesians. The entire book of Ephesians actually unpacks the why, the what and the how. So it's six chapters. Are you ready? No. Okay, we don't have time for that. So I've just like picked out the best bits. And in your own time, Isaac, you can dig into it. Do it. Read the whole thing. Because you will see this in there from cover to cover. We're going to start in Ephesians 1 with this question of why. What is God's purpose in the world? Now, caveat. We actually can't know the mind of God. That's not what I'm saying up here. But it's laid out really clearly what his purpose is because it says this is his purpose, okay? So it's right here. It's this big picture. And he made known to us, this is verse 9, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. He purposed it in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. What's his purpose? To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Even Christ under that one head. Christ is that head. He's also under that head. It's a neat little cyclical circle thing that keeps happening. We see it again in Ephesians 1 verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, this is Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. So he is the head but he's also under it. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The whole point of what Jesus' purpose is, is to bring unity It is reconciliation to the Father and it is unity among us, among not just us. It says all things on heaven and earth. All things. That's it. Okay, we're done here. It's just unity. That's all it's about. That's the picture. That's what it means to say that heaven is on earth is when there's unity. When we say we want to see the kingdom of God built here, we're saying we want there to be peace and unity. There's some description here now about how that happens. 
So we're moving on to the how part of the circle. How does how is this realized? How is unity actually going to be realized? Ephesians 2:14 is where we're jumping to. For he himself is our peace, and the he him is Jesus. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I'm just going to take a moment now to unpack what this two one means. The two, he has made the two one. So the two he's talking about are the Israel's, Israelites, the family of God, those who had historically at the time all of the rules and regulations that allowed them to be the closest people to God on the planet. It was their synagogue that had a room separated with a curtain that they called the Holy of Holies, and that is where the presence of God was. And then the other people, everybody else, the Gentiles, could not come into that space or close to that space in the synagogue because of all these rules and regulations and what it meant. So this is the two. We've got the family of God and the others, the not family of God. These two separate things. And here it says that Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And the barrier that he's talking about here is the curtain, It was a physical curtain. This is both metaphorical and actual because he pointed during his lifetime to the synagogue and he said, I will tear that down and then rebuild it in three days. And he was laughed at because they said it took generations to build that. You're not going to build that in three days. He was talking about his body. Nothing was actually physically torn down except that curtain that separated the holy of holies, the presence of God, from the rest of the world. The barrier was torn down, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. See, I love this picture of putting death to their hostility Because hostility itself is like quite a violent idea and then he's done a quite a violent thing to it and it's put it to death. But it means that it's done, it's over. There's no more any hostility between who is in the family of God and who is not in the family of God. And that is the picture of heaven on earth is that there is actually no hostility and there's no divide and there's no us or them, us and them, there's no othering of anybody who is actually beyond the walls of this church. So when we talk about beyond, I just want to make it really, really clear that we're not talking about people who are different to us. 
We're not talking about others. We're not talking about people who aren't in the presence of God because actually that curtain was torn down and he preached the gospel to those who were near and far and then made the presence of God available to all freely at all times. He's near. And then he sent his spirit after he he died, he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven and he promised his disciples that the spirit would come. The spirit came. And it's this one spirit now that dwells in all of us and is available to anyone. I just love this picture that actually his purpose wasn't just to reconcile each one of us and each lost sheep and chase each one. It's actually to reconcile us. Did you get that when it says here? His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he was put to death, by which he put to death their hostility. Because we talk a lot about being reconciled to God, because it's a big theme, but we don't talk a lot about being reconciled with one another. But actually we are, there's this like, it's the same part of the process. It's this reconciliation. It's this building of the body. It's this unity. And then that body, the body of Christ, because that's the metaphor there, is the body of Christ, the church, is reconciled to God. It's a key part of it. So that's the how. How is it done? Well, it's done by the cross which removed the barrier, the barriers that stood in between anybody being able to access God. And this scripture doesn't go into it, but you can find it elsewhere. There are other barriers that is, are unpacked, barriers like our sin, barriers like the wrath of God, but barriers also including the hostility, barriers also including the fact that there was a whole group of people who were told they couldn't come close to the kingdom of God all of that's been removed so that's the how and then there's this beautiful promise that it's through him we have access to the father by one spirit that's the other part of the how it's by his spirit and that's really key then for when we turn to the what what is what are we going to do to achieve this why what are the actions that we then are going to take in response and Paul has written this beautifully for us in Ephesians 4 starting at verse 2, the what? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And that is the what. It's be completely humble and patient be pa- and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And this, is, this part's really key. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And now we're going to link this to the idea of going beyond. And we're going to turn to Acts 2 and we're going to see how the early church took this what, took this vision of unity and then 
what they did with it in their cultural moment. Chapter 2, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There was a unity. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread and they ate together, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Now that's their what and it could just, it's tempting to just take it like the white picket fence analogy from before and go, well, we just need to do that as well. But that's what worked for them in their cultural moment. That was the outworking of this amazing vision of what Jesus had just achieved and that he just sent his Holy Spirit in power. And this, is, this was their response to it. So now the question has to be, what is our response going to be? And I'm going to read to you my favourite my favorite part of the response. This is what I'd like to just spend my time doing. Is flicking through my Bible to find the reference. Here we go. This is 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Okay, my people-pleasing self is satisfied. That's what we're going to do to reach the beyond. Okay, great. That's the kingdom of God. Just live a quiet life. We're done. Almost, almost want to (laughs) be. It's really tempting. No, I think we're going to drill down into this key little part of this verse here. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not, well, and then that other bit. But that's the key bit here. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And see, that's not going to happen if you're actually just living a daily life that you've decided is a nice, quiet ambition. But if it's connected to this vision of seeking unity, if it's connected to this idea that actually God has come and wants to transform the world, renewing it, setting people free, actually bringing light into darkness, actually bringing hope into despair, actually bringing joy, actually bringing renewal to things that are exhausted and not working right, if he wants to actually do all of that and use us to do that, then this quiet life starts to look a little different because it's filled with this desire to be a part of what it is that's happening. And I read this bit out of context. Don't you love it when that happens? It's very convenient when you just uh, take things out of context. And it's actually in a passage about what it looks like to be living a life that's pleasing to God. And I'm not going to get into all of it because it's an entire other sermon and I have five and a half minutes left. The thing is, though, that the context of it is this, that in this no matter should no one 
should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. About brotherly love, we don't need to write to you because the Thessalonians were doing it so well. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. They weren't just saying make it your ambition to live a quiet life and mind your own business and don't worry about preaching the gospel. You don't need to use words. You can just use actions because they'll know it by your actions. Don't worry, you're off the hook. You don't have to offend anybody. That's the bit we sometimes ad-lib that we can, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Has anybody heard that saying? It's a very common one. You could almost take this verse to support that. But in the context of it, your daily life may win the respect of others because you're also living into this vision of brotherly love, this picture of unity, this picture of a life where hostility is actually being put to death and where despite our differences, we are united and living in this brotherly love. That's what's going to win the respect of outsiders. And before we finish, I want to turn to Matthew 28 and have a quick look at the commission, the way that Jesus launched his disciples into their mission after he died, rose again, and right before he ascended, he appeared to them. And this is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so therefore go and live a quiet life and mind your own business. That's not what it says. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now Jesus had a lot of sayings and Jesus had a lot of sermons and Jesus had a lot of parables, but Jesus only had two commandments. Go and teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Does anyone know what it was that he commanded? Love God and love your neighbour as yourself. Just love others and love your neighbour as yourself. And that's a really beautiful idea of what to do in order to achieve this vision of unity and reconciliation because, hey... How else can we be unified? How else can there be reconciliation in our age? Especially in our age when offence is on all sides. And it's so hard actually to not take offence to somebody else's offence. So I want to leave us with this because it can take some unpacking, this idea of what is it that riles you up? What's your cause? What is it that you believe in? What's your purpose for being here? And how does that fit within God's vision for the world, God's vision for you and your vision, God's vision of the church? But I want to leave you with this call, I suppose, because it's worth digging into. It's worth digging into and unpacking what it is that gets you excited because there's something that God's wanting to do through you 
And there's something about what it is in this moment with our church being on the edge of this new, like just relaunching the same vision we've had, but it doesn't feel old or tired. Thank you, Sue. It does not. We are actually launching into something together and it's very exciting. But as we look to how to build the kingdom of heaven beyond and all of the ideas that maybe are springing up, I just want to encourage you to take a moment and just invite the Holy Spirit to just reveal to you any part of you that actually is maybe living out of a checklist of things that actually you've just been told is what you do as a Christian. (laughs) Maybe part of your discipleship journey or formation journey was at times to just be told this is how you do it, you just got to go up to people on the street, whatever it is. And if it's a checklist, would you invite him to reveal to you and get you excited for and to fall back in love with that first love, that thing that gets you excited, the part of his vision that really speaks to you? And then work out from there what it is that he's inviting you to participate in. And maybe you've never actually been given the opportunity to participate in this incredible vision. And this is what I would say to this because honestly so often, I don't know about you guys, but there's this sense in me that I was made to do something great. Oh gosh, I'm getting really vulnerable now and I'm over time. I, <laughs> I was made to do really something really great and then there's this disappointment that actually I've never achieved that. Anybody else feel this way? Yep. There's this sense that like I'm a change maker, I can do something, God's got this call, God's got this like thing for me to do and I've never yet found it. There's just, I see all of the time the things that I want to change and I just feel so passionate about changing them. Here's the thing that I've been really wrestling with lately, something God dropped into my heart earlier this year, is that actually history hasn't been waiting for me to show up. (laughs) Because the transformation of the world... The change that's happening, Holy, the Holy Spirit is already afoot and on the move. He's already out there doing these things that I'd love to see. It's his heart that he's given me for this injustice. It's his heart that he's given you for the people who are hurting. It's his heart that he's given you for the young people. It's his heart that he's given you for the elderly. It's his heart that he's given you for the ones who are most vulnerable and in most need. He's not... The world is not waiting for you to stand up and make a difference. His spirit is out there doing it and his invitation is, would you like to join in? Because his way is life and this is how to live in the light. So it's an invitation to participate, not a sign up for a list of rules or regulations and things you have to tick off in order to prove that you're a good Christian. It's actually something that's discerned in a relationship with God and with others. So I'd leave it with you. If you don't have a spiritual mentor, find one. (laughs) But actually it doesn't have to be someone serious. It can just be someone who you trust. And work this through together. Have a conversation. What is it that gets you excited? And what is it that God's inviting you to do with that? Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.